What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Yeah. <clears throat> Tell the truth. We could go home right now and say we've been in church, couldn't we? How, how exciting. I said praise the Lord a while ago to something that I didn't think I would ever say praise the Lord for. A guy walked up to me and said, I just want you to know, Pastor, I am officially negative. I never thought I'd say praise the Lord to that. How many of you are officially negative when it comes to COVID? Yeah, praise the Lord. <laughs> wow, wow. Well, this morning, I'm not sure that what I'm doing right now should even be called a series of messages. M maybe it's just a major subject in the Bible that God won't let me get away from. And we're just setting up camp there. And I'm talking about prayer. The subject that we've been dealing with now for some eight weeks is that of prayer. And specifically, a journey into powerful prayer. And so I want to begin by sharing two verses with you. The first one is 1 Thessalonians 5.17, and it says, pray without ceasing. Now, let me just say this. I am going to throw a lot of scripture at you today, so if you've got something to write these scriptures down, it will help you later, whether it's a pen and paper or a device, but I encourage you to put some of these down. And, and you can always go to our app and find this message. So... 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. And then Ephesians 3.14 says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the interesting thing about these two verses is the same person penned these verses under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Pray without ceasing. And for this cause, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when you take those two verses and you bring them together, it really does shine some light on what our prayer lives should look like. On one hand, we should pray without ceasing. That means that we are to stay in con constant communion with our Heavenly Father. That means we're to be in constant fellowship with him. That means we are to be in an ongoing conversation with him where during the day, while we're going about our activities in our busy schedules, we are always talking to God and we're always listening to what he has to say. But then on the other hand, there are times when just this ongoing type of prayer should give way to a deeper type of prayer. And that's what Paul says. He says, for this cause, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You pray without ceasing, but then there are times when you need to become more serious in prayer, get on your knees before God, humble yourself before God, and you need to pray with no distractions. So, understand, this is what we're seeing here. And that is we should pray all the time about everything. But then there are times when we should see our prayer life take a turn 
to a more serious side where we stop, where we get away from everything else. All the other activities of life have to be shut out and we get before God and we pray. And that's the kind of prayer I want to talk to you about this morning. The title of the message today is Praying to a God Who Hides. Praying to a God Who Hides. This may be shocking to you, but God is hiding from you. And God is hiding from me. And God was hiding from Moses. And Jesus was hiding from the two men on the road to Emmaus. It's all through the Bible. It's hard to find any character in the Bible that God was not in some way hiding himself from them. It's part of the very nature of who God is. God is always hiding and cloaking and concealing a part of his own nature. Isaiah 45, 15 says this, Truly, you are a God who hides himself. O God of Israel, the Savior. Isaiah 8, 17 says, I wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. I especially like this one. Isaiah says, God, you're hiding, but I'm still hoping. I'm still hoping. You're hiding, but I am hoping. Isaiah 8, 17 says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face. I think I just read that, didn't I? Let's look at the next one. It's just undeniable that God hides from us. And I got to tell you, it can be extremely frustrating. Psalm 44, 24, listen to this. Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? This is the psalmist and the emphasis is on why. It, It can be frustrating. Why? If you've ever asked God, why are you not hearing me? Why are you so far away from me? Why can't I get through to you? Why, God? Why do you hide your face? You're in good company because the psalmist did that and others did it in the Bible. And Psalm 88, 14, it says, O Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? By the way, we don't have time this morning, but I found over 30 places in the Bible where it says God hides his face from us. When you need God and you can't find him, it can be frustrating. Psalm 10.1 says, why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Now, friends, this is true even of Christians. One of the great preachers in America by the name of John Piper says, God sometimes chooses to withdraw from us his manifest, experienced, known, tasted sweetness of his presence. Sometimes God withdraws. And we can try to analyze that, but there is no doubt that God does this. So let me say it again. 
God is hiding from you, and God is hiding from me, and God is hiding even from the church. God is hiding. Now, your first response, if you're not familiar with what the Bible says, is you may say, Pastor, no, that can't be. That can't be true. Because I'm a Christian. I'm a born-again Christian. I've received Christ as my Lord and Savior. And the Bible makes it clear that he will never leave me nor forsake me. And I would agree with you. That is true. If you've met Jesus through the forgiveness of your sins and through a new birth experience, he will never completely forsake you. But I stand before you today to tell you that there is a dimension of his glory. There is a dimension of his power. There is a dimension of his presence and his holiness that you and I will never know and we will never experience unless we are willing to pray and to press in and to chase after God and to go after him with everything in us. We have to do that. We have to go after the Lord. It's clear in the scriptures. He's the God who hides in the shadows, the God of the secret place. He's the God who conceals himself. He's the God who will not reveal all of himself and all of his nature to us. Again, it's just part of who he is. He conceals his glory. But listen up, child of God. Even though he's the God who hides himself, he's also the God who reveals himself to those who pray, for those who press in, for those who chase after him, for those who don't treat Christianity as just something casual or a byproduct of their lives, those who really go after God. Those are the ones that he reveals himself to. I want you to help me with some scripture I'll tell you when I want you to read. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me. Say it. The Bible says what it means and it means what it says. Psalm 119, 2. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. Help me out. Who seek him with their whole heart. Deuteronomy 4.29, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him. That's pretty clear, isn't it? You see, Jesus even made it clear in the New Testament when he said in Matthew 7.7, and he was covering these Old Testament truths, when he says, if you ask, it will be given to you. If you seek, and that word seek just keeps popping up over and over and over in all of these scriptures. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. And then the one passage of scripture that we've all heard so many times, it almost means nothing to us anymore, is Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Now, hold on just a moment. Why would God's people need to seek his face? Why? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. I want to tell you because sometimes God hides his face. 
Sometimes God is in the shadows. Sometimes he's in the secret place. But if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Our God is a seek and find God. He's a seek and find God. It may be better to say it this way. I even shared this with Lori so she could share some of it in children's church today. Our God is a hide and seek God. He's a hide and seek God. Have you ever noticed how how children just know that game? You don't have to teach children the game of hide and seek. They just know it. They learn it. I, for one, believe it's programmed into our DNA that it is a divine game that God programs into us. I remember when my children were just little toddlers. And all I want to say to the parents and grandparents, if you've got little toddlers running around, just enjoy it. Because one day they grow up. But I remember when my children were just little toddlers. And I can remember sometimes seeing them at the window when I would drive up in front of the house. You see those eyes. I I can remember coming in the house or maybe they hear the door open and, and, and my two little children would run and hide. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? Nobody has to teach that. And then I walk in the house and their mother would say, they're hiding. And then the game begins. Then I start walking through the house, heavy footed. And I start looking for them. And then finally, when I catch their eyes and they see me, and I can sometimes hear them giggling, then they'll jump out. And the way we would do it is the moment they jump out, then I'd start running from them. But they couldn't catch me unless I was willing to let them catch me. But I would always let them catch me. Oh, friends, our God is a hide-and-seek God. God loves the game of hide-and-seek. He hides from us. And he loves it when we come and seek for him. And, and, And I can also tell you that our God is not the God of the crowd. He's the God of the individual who seeks him. Oh, we get, we get excited about crowds, don't we? Man, look at that crowd. Man, we had, a, we, we had a worship service and the house was packed. It was packed. And it was so great. It was just over the top. Have you ever heard a testimony like this? Man, we had the greatest church service you, you, you've ever seen in your life. We only had one person show up for church. But that one person was so excited about God and so in pursuit of God that, that it was just fruit basket turnover. We don't hear that. We look at the crowd, but God looks at the individual. God's trying to find that one person. I always catch myself when I say God's trying to do something because I really don't think God tries to do anything. But, but anyway, God's looking for that one person in the crowd who's hungry and thirsty. 
for him. Just read your Bible. It was never the crowd that impressed Jesus. It was the one person, the one person that got excited and went after him with everything in them. There was one little man in a big crowd that day when he passed through the city. And that one little man ran, climbed up in a tree. That one little man was found by Jesus. You know why? Because he was looking for Jesus. And he had kind of gotten the crowd aside. He was in pursuit of Jesus. It just, it goes on and on. One poor, humble, sick woman in the crowd that day found God because she slipped through the crowd, touched the hem of his garment. That's not casual Christianity. That's not spectator Christianity. That's I've got to get to Jesus Christianity. That's what that's all about. And she touched the hem of his garment and power, healing power flowed out of him and into her. I always like the story of the Syrophoenician woman who had a child that was sick and needed to be healed. And Jesus even said to her, no, no, it's not time. It's not right. You remember the story. He said, you can't give the food that belongs to the children to the dogs. It almost sounds insulting. But this woman came back and said, no, but the little dogs around the table, they eat some crumbs. If I can just have some crumbs. And Jesus looked at her, go back and read it. Jesus said, for this saying, your child is healed. Your child's been restored. Oh my goodness, friends. God's looking for one. Here is an amazing verse in the Bible. Jeremiah 3.14. It says, return, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master. I will take you, listen, one from a city. Two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. Wow. Wow. See, we like the crowd, and there's nothing wrong with the crowd. I wish we had twice as many people as we have now. But I'm telling you, the spirit of the living God is not focused on the crowd. The spirit of the living God is saying, I'll take you one by one. I'll take that one individual that's coming after me. Years ago, we were having a service. I don't remember if it was at this location or our location in Sopchapi. But we were having a service, and during that service, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move. And we had a lady that came to the altar, and she began to pray. And she began to go after God with everything in her. And then she started weeping and moaning. And then it got louder. And then she began to weep profusely. And it kept getting louder and louder. And I could tell it was making some other people uncomfortable. In fact, I tell you, it was making me uncomfortable. She was drawing attention to herself. I remember... Being on my knees at that time, and I remember standing up to go and stop her because it was making everybody uncomfortable. 
And the moment I stood up, the Spirit of the Lord just dropped something into my memory and I could see it that had happened years ago and I won't go into that, but I, I saw kind of a day vision right there. And then the Holy Spirit said to me, she's praying for her children before they die in their sins. And the Holy Spirit said to me, People pray all the time for their children after they die in sin. This woman is praying for her children before they die in sin. Spirit of the Lord said, leave her alone. I realized she was making me uncomfortable. She was making some other people uncomfortable. But I also realized she was the one person that day that had God's attention. In fact... She had God's attention to the point that God told me, you sit down. You get out of the way. This is between me and her. Oh, when was the last time you went after God like that? When was the last time that you came to the point in your life where you said for this cause, oh, I pray every day. I talk to him all along the way. I'm listening all the time. But for this cause, I have to bow my knees before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is so weighty. This is so important that I have to bow my knees. I have to get to the God of the universe. And I have to talk to him. Oh, friends, is there not a cause Is there not a child or a grandchild? Is there not a relative or a friend? Is there not something going on, a stronghold, an addiction? Is there not something going on in your life where you would have to say, for this cause, I get on my face. For this cause, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For this cause, I press in and I will not stop. Until I touch him. Oh, friends. I love to tell the story of two elderly ladies. This has been well documented. Two elderly ladies, one named Peggy and the other one named Christine. Peggy was 84 years old and Christine was 82 years old. Peggy was blind. And Christine was almost completely doubled over with arthritis. They were homebound. They could not even go to church or worship. They couldn't get out of their house. But these two ladies decided that they would pray. These two ladies decided that they would press in. That they would bow down before the Lord. And they would not stop in pursuit until God showed up. They found a verse in the Bible and made it their kind of home base for praying. Here it is, Isaiah 44, 3. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. See, that's what we're talking about, being thirsty. And floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed. And, thy, and my blessings upon thine offspring. 
They just started praying it day after day, night after night. It was a cause that God had placed upon their hearts. And yes, I'm sure they prayed all day long and they had been praying. They were devout Christians, but this time it was time to bow the knees. It was time to get serious. It was time to go all the way into the presence of God. And so God spoke to them one day and said, I'm going to start a revival. They were excited about that. And then God spoke to them and said, the man who's going to preach that revival, and, they, and God gave these two ladies his name. Well, they call the preacher. The preacher shows up and they said, we're going to have a revival. Now, if you can imagine how that went over. And and he said, well, we don't have anything planned. They said, yes, we do. God has it planned. We're going to have a revival. God's been answering our prayer. And he said, well, what do you have in mind? One article I read said he felt like a beginner standing before generals with these two ladies. And they said, God has given us the name. The man's name is Duncan Campbell. Call for Duncan Campbell. He's coming. He will preach a revival and God's about to do a work. They were just praying. The pastor said, okay, that's what you want me to do. I'll do it. So he sends a message to Duncan Campbell and says, we're supposed to have a revival and you're supposed to come lead it. He sent the message back. I cannot come lead a revival at your church. I'm already booked up. He goes and tells the elderly ladies. He tells Peggy and Christine. He said, I'm sorry, but it must not have been God. He can't come. And Peggy and Christine looked at him and said, oh yeah, he's coming. God can't lie. And God gave us his name. And God said he was the man. They said, pastor, you send another message and you tell him he is coming. That he will preach the revival and God will do a mighty work. Pastor sent the message and Duncan Campbell sent back. You're absolutely right. All my other meetings have been canceled. (laughs) What a God we serve. Duncan Campbell showed up. By the way, you should read. It's one of the most documented revivals in history, in the history of Christianity. It's called the New Hebrides Revival. Duncan Campbell showed up and started preaching. And revival broke out. In fact, it started spreading to churches where Duncan Campbell would preach at one church, leave that church, go to another church. And sometimes they would start at four or five in the afternoon and Duncan Campbell would not be through preaching until daylight because he would hit each church and preach. And people were getting saved in every church. That revival continued for two years. People got saved. It changed that whole society. Oh, friend, just two elderly ladies, homebound, couldn't even leave. For this cause, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Child of God, please listen. You could be just one fast one fast away from a major breakthrough over your life and family. 
You could be just one spiritual journey away from the heavens opening above you. And God doing things that you can't hardly imagine. You could be just one major pursuit away from God, away from a miracle. One major pursuit for God that would bring a miracle into your life. You could be just one season of prayer away from touching him, touching him. Well, God is waiting for you, for me, for this church. He's waiting for us to come after him. And by the way, when you find him, what will he do? I don't know. I don't know. He's God. But I got all, all ideas. It'll be good. The Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy. The Bible says at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Oh. I tell you what I do know. I don't know what will happen when you find him. Or maybe I should say this, when he allows you to find him. I don't know what will happen, but I do know this. I know that he wants you to find him. Isn't it time for you to get serious in prayer? Oh, keep praying without ceasing. But don't let that substitute for those times when you're going to bow your knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As I was preparing this message, and I always over-prepare, but there's one scripture that I felt like the Lord told me to close with. And I honestly believe there are a few folks here today, more than one, that need to hear this. This is Hosea 5.15. It says, I will return again to my place. Now, this is God. This is God talking. What place is he talking about? His hiding place. I will return again to my place, to the shadows, to the place where I'm veiled, to the place where you can't hear me, to the place where you can't see me. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt And seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. Bow with me in prayer. Oh, Holy Spirit, move on this church, move on this congregation. As surely as you put this message on my heart, God, you, you're speaking to some people. And Lord, we know according to your word that you hide. But Lord, we also know that you sent your prophets and teachers a long time ago and you're sending preachers today to call people back to a pursuit of you. Lord, I pray that you will stir us up today. Lord, if there are those who need to be saved today, 
that even as we give this invitation, people will cry out to you. Father, if there are those that need to join this church, that they will do it at this time. Father, if there are those who feel like you're a million miles away, let this message ring true in their hearts. And may there be a declaration that for this cause, for this time, for where I am at this point in my life, I will bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, would you move upon the service? I ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.